Welcome back to American Psyop, a podcast miniseries in nine parts. I'm Emily Bix, continuing my conversation with Wesley Clark Jr. and our attempt to figure out what happened to him. So last episode, we talked about how you being a political pundit led you to activism in 2016. As you start getting involved in climate change projects in Standing Rock, you seem to be swarmed by what you later learn are members of a cult. Now, I've joined a lot of things that have like cult properties in my life. I was a lapsed Catholic. I pledged a fraternity in college. I joined the army. I had a girlfriend who got me to attend Landmark Forum once for like 48 hours. They offer an initial 48-hour class. Or, what class goes on for 48 hours? Well, a mind control class. Like different ways to kind of reprogram yourself. You know, for some people, they're looking for therapy. For some people, they're looking for religion. And of course, different ideas, companies and groups come together to make the money off these problems. While previous episodes have spanned several years, this week we're going to focus almost exclusively on a three-week period between Donald Trump being elected president on November 8th to November 30th, the day you left for Standing Rock. As I understand it, During this period, you underwent a severe mental transformation, which you believe was part of an operation being run against you. We've started each episode about how you are susceptible through your naivete and through your association with power and through different industries. But there's another aspect of vulnerability I want to talk about. So in figuring out someone's pressure points for influence or recruitment, intelligence officers will often use the acronym MICE, standing for money, ideology, compromise, i.e. blackmail, and ego. Which of those lanes of persuasion do you think you are personally susceptible to? Most of my adult life was very hand-to-mouth money, although I would never take money to do something bad. So maybe that one's not so perfect. Ideology, yeah, I believe there should be greater equality. I believe there should be more justice. I believe we should do something about the environment. So yeah, I'd I'd probably be susceptible to ideology. Compromise, not into anything really weird. And I don't care if someone has pictures of me naked. So compromise probably wouldn't be that useful. And ego? Ego, yeah, of course. I'm a writer. Now, when we left off, Trump had just been elected. You had dipped your toe into activism through two projects, Standing Rock and Climate Mobilization. You say through those you are surrounded by a cult. Yeah, but but they seem to come from two other sources, too. First was a guy named Michael from Santa Barbara. So after the fundraiser for climate mobilization at the end of October, this guy who was on the International Crisis Group board with my dad came up to me and said, the way you look at climate, you should speak with my friend Michael up in Santa Barbara. His story is trust fund baby, but big funder of all kinds of regenerative and renewable technologies super plugged in with the whole money tech millennial world. His wife had been a member of the Mossad, Israel's intelligence service. Okay. And I went up to Santa Barbara. I meet him. I talk to him. We're both like, holy shit, the world's going to die. Our kids are going to die from this. Let's do something. Once Trump had won the election, I'm like, now you had somebody who was going to destroy the environment, not just not do anything. Michael up in Santa Barbara is like, we have to do an emergency meeting. So we're like, okay, let's set that for the end of November in Santa Barbara, three weeks from now. Okay, so Trump has been elected, and now you've basically made two commitments over the next three weeks. 
The first is to drive up to Santa Barbara to do a climate change event with a guy you met through the first activist organization you worked with and Standing Rock, which you are leading a group of veterans to. Both of these events are happening at the end of November. And at the same time, I was trying to get a medical marijuana business off the ground with a friend of mine who I had gotten back in touch with, super green thumb into all these health foods. And we mentioned in episode one that on two occasions, because we could not find corroborating evidence for Wes's claim, the lawyers asked us to augment a name. The first was Wes's Australian friend who went to the underage sex party in Macau. The second is this guy who Wes wanted to start a marijuana growing business with. Going forward, we will refer to him as the weed guy. So I'd recently gotten back in touch with the weed guy. I met the weed guy through the Australian trust fund baby. The other guy, the lawyers asked us not to name. Like way back in the 90s, the Australian trust fund baby. He was all like Buddhism, but you know, like the kind of selfish new agey California Buddhism. And I always just wrote it off as, you know, he's just trying to get girls into bed. And around that time is when he started hanging out with the weed guy. So I remember in 2004, when he visited me, he was telling me that there were quite literally lizard people running the world. The Australian said that. Yeah. I mean, it comes off David Icke, who was a famous British football coach and then became a big conspiracy theorist on the radio. Do you still think the royal family were shape-shifting lizards? Yes, I do. You do? Yes. And you also want us to believe 9-11 is a conspiracy? Uh, yes. Did you know that James Martinez, the guy who brought you into Standing Rock, and David Icke worked together? Oh, did they really? I'm going to take the lead position for the main show. I, I don't consider myself the leader. I'm just one of the trigger men. But uh, what I want to begin with right now um, is this message from my good friend David Icke. Hello and welcome to The People's Voice. For anyone that wants to communicate suppressed, oppressed information, well, this is their dream come true. So as I'm going into the Standing Rock thing, I notice everybody around me, they'd all been talking about UFOs and aliens and connections to alien tribes and ascended masters and ascension from the guy who brought me into Standing Rock. James Martinez. Everything that's going on right now has to do with the ascension process. To Nora. You know, people talk about ascension. To the weed guy, to the Australian. And a couple of them have brought up St. Germain. It's called the I Am Cult. And that these things were tied to prophecy, tied to the Lakota prophecies, their kind of end times prophecies, and tied to Standing Rock. You spoke about the I Am Cult a little bit last week, but just to give our listeners more context, the I Am Cult was started in the 1930s by a man named Guy Ballard, who claimed he was the reincarnation of George Washington. Ballard also claimed that while he was walking on Mount Shasta in California, he ran into the reincarnation of a man named St. Germain, an 18th century count who then gave Ballard a revelation. Germain became a central figure in Ballard's new cult. St. Germain, among other supposedly enlightened and magical entities known as Ascended Masters, are the central figures of the cult. These Ascended Masters are a mix of angels and deities pulled from religions across the world, like the Archangel Michael, along with historical figures like St. Germain, who, according to the cult, can perform magic and time travel. 
The cult is heavily influenced by theosophy and mysticism and is considered the first religious movement to incorporate aliens and UFOs as part of their belief system. The cult also pushed a right-wing and hyper-nationalistic political ideology and conspiracy theories mostly directed at President Franklin Roosevelt, who Ballard would encourage his followers to attempt to psychically destroy. It's hard to determine the size of any cult, especially one this old, but the cult's claim of 3 million members is clearly inflated. In reality, in the late 30s, the I Am Cult is estimated to have had as few as 50,000 active members, but possibly as many as 1 million interested followers, which at the time represented almost 1% of the entire population, about the same percentage of modern Americans who are practicing Muslims. Here are excerpts from a speech Ballard gave in the 1930s. In the name, love, wisdom, and power which thou art to charge the consciousness of each one here with the ascended master present, self-luminous intelligence, substance, and power of light that goes before giving each student the invincible protection by the power of light and the invincible directing intelligence and through the divine order and divine channels thus limit the supply they require, money or anything else. Let everyone realize when they call to their mighty I am presence the greatest power. In fact, all the powers of the universe rush. And we thank thee it's done. Beloved Saint Germain, today our hearts are bursting with gratitude. After Ballard's death in 1939, the remaining leaders of the I am cult were charged with multiple counts of mail fraud and the cult went largely underground. Today, few members use the name I am. It largely operates as the St. Germain Foundation, which has several U.S.-based temples and about 300 local chapters worldwide. And it has also produced several sects and splinter groups, such as the Church Universal and Triumphant. Wes, you would later find out much of what you were hearing from the people who came into your life in the fall of 2016 were the beliefs of this cult. And to understand it, if you're on Facebook, you've probably seen stories from Gaia, which are all these kind of new agey UFOs, pseudo-Christian, whatever you're going to call it. Did you know that Gaia was originally called Gaiam, which is a combination of the god Gaia and the words I am? No, I did not know that. Gaia is an alternative media channel broadcast to over 3.5 million followers on Facebook and 500,000 paid subscribers. They push conspiracy theories, new ageism, and UFO mythologies amidst yoga content. Are you ready for Gaia? Explore the world's largest library of conscious media with thousands of films and original programs. Inside, he was able to detect the fetus of some creature. It is clear by scientists that it's something different. It is not human. Did you know that James Martinez has made several appearances on Gaia? I mean, see, there's like, everybody's like two degrees separated around here. And this is like right after the election. At this point, I start only sleeping like three hours a day. And I answer every single text message, Twitter DM, Facebook DM, everything that's sent to me from everybody to get as many people as I can out to Standing Rock or if they had a lot of money out to Santa Barbara. The people around me the whole time I'm doing this, which I'm just doing it out of my garage, are James Martinez and Sadef. And Sadef is the Turkish-American woman who came into your life right before Standing Rock. She was a fan of the Young Turks and reached out to you on Twitter 
That's right. And Sadef wasn't really into the whole spiritual aspect thing, but she also wasn't against all the spiritual stuff. And they were like, you know, became friends. Martinez, not so much because he had a lot of weird ideas that I didn't like. Like he was one of these people who's like Jews control the banking system. We are controlled by the banking cartels uh, that run and own this country. They're making the decisions. Uh, Donald Trump has to bow down to Israel and he's got to bow down to the Rothschilds. Sorry, that's the ugly truth. That's the situation. And it's like, dude, how fucking stupid are you to say something like that? Like if you obviously know nothing about banking. <laughs> but he was a big like, crypto guy and he's the guy who had to be there because he had the phone communication with phyllis out at standing rock and i didn't speak with phyllis all that often it would be like once a week for like maybe an hour or two because she was unreachable as well on the phone and when you'd speak i mean she was an elder native american you kind of have to wait for her to say what she wants to say you really can't question it that much and you'll never really get specifics so everything was kind of nebulous Mm -hmm. So at this point, I get surrounded by gurus who come out of the woodwork, guys who are friends with Michael from Santa Barbara, guys who are friends with other people who are like, you got to talk to this person. This person wants to meet you. And they come by the house and, you know, do their hocus pocus and be like, you have a powerful spirit inside you, blah, 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 crazy stuff. Like this fellow Paolo, who was also tied to all these ascended master type things and his girlfriend that came over that was a big spiritual consultant for, you know, quote, Hollywood players, like getting thousands of dollars an hour to do psychic readings. And I met Seven McDonald through Nora. She was like a PR person for activists and causes. And she also kind of accepted all these beliefs. When you're completely surrounded by everybody thinking the same thing, you think, okay, I'm just going to play along. Their end goal is something good, which is dude, we have to do something about climate change. Did this crew of people also uh, speak to your wife? Yeah, they all had come over to the house and my wife is like, who the fuck are all these people suddenly all around us? But for me, it felt fun. It felt like I'm doing something good that's righteous and just. You know, if someone comes over and they tell you, you're bound for a very special mission, you have a very powerful spirit inside of you and you hear these things and then later, a different person brings up these same ideas to reinforce the belief in you. And I was like, give me more of that crazy. That crazy's good. They were all trying to push me in this really specific path of UFOs, St. Germain, theosophy. So all these people start reaching out to me. And I mean, from every nook and cranny of reality you can think of. Like a lot of the environmental people I came into contact with a lot of the people from Nexus, a lot of the people like Nora and others are talking about all this stuff. As this is happening, my brain starts to melt down, mainly probably because I'm only sleeping three hours a night and I'm talking to every single person that gets in touch with me. Like on Twitter? Twitter, Facebook, you know, and you would do it in whatever voice you've been contacted with. So if somebody came at you like, I'm looking to be an ascended human. You'd be like, I want to help that ascension. <laughs> like, come out there and like put it on the line for us. If they were negative, I'd just be like, sorry, you feel that way. I mean, there were plenty of people who were like, we're going to kill you. You should die. Or you get messages online from like, I'm a cop in North Dakota and 
my family's gotten death threats. Everybody was getting death threats in like November 2016. Whether you were on the right or the left, I was like, wow. And I'm going into like this horrible situation where I can die or lose my freedom for the rest of my life. And I was like, holy shit, I don't have a gun. And anybody could find where I live. And I'm like, I need a gun. I'm like, my neighbor up the street, I know he's got a gun because he's talked about it before. So I walk up to his house and here's where stuff got super weird for me. I started to get a weird sensation. Have you ever felt the shivers? Yeah, like the chills. Yeah, but this was like the reverse of the shivers, but directly in the center of my chest, like in my heart. I walk up to my neighbor's house and I feel like it's a voice inside me go. And Wait, I was you like, had a voice in your head. Like that. literally felt like a voice in my head. Ask him about Jesus instead. And I did. And then he was a pastor. So then I'm like, boom, my brain is on fire. I'm like, I'm working for God now. And I wrote out the operations order and got the thing off. And then like my heart would literally vibrate and an idea would pop into my head. And then I would start doing things, whether it was who I needed to call, who I needed to email, words I needed to write in an email, everything. Was it a scary feeling or No, it was exciting? great. I was I was like the Holy Spirit is piloting me. And you felt that instead of ooh, am I having heart problems? Yeah, absolutely. As I was doing all this, I reread the Bible, start to finish, like going through it like a machine. Because that's what I felt I was. I felt like I was a machine. I felt like I was this thing that had been asleep my whole life and then suddenly you wake up and you're on a mission. And the mission was I had to go to Standing Rock and I had to get people there because something was going to happen. That was it. I didn't know what the outcome would be. I just knew I was born for this purpose. And you're surrounded by people that are telling you. And I'm surrounded you by people that, that are, are telling me that. A hundred percent. Were you already not sleeping at this point? I think it probably had been like several days of not sleeping by this point. I got in touch with this friend of mine in Arkansas who had been to divinity school and was an aspiring preacher, but at the same time held a day job. And I was like, I better talk to him about this because he knows all this stuff. So I call him up and he sends me a text back and he's like, dude, I'm in a deer blind. I can't speak, but we can text. A deer blind? He's like hunting deer. And I tell him what I'm thinking. He goes, that's totally crazy. And I'm like, and you're about to get a deer. Like, I'm just feeling it. Like you're about to get it. And he sends me a picture like, a minute later, and he just got a deer. And I'm like, that's it. I'm psychic. Boom. And from that moment forward, I was like, I'm on a mission from God. Not really a reasonable outcome from what happened to think, obviously, I'm a prophet of God. <laughs> I knew that guy was going to get a deer. While he was hunting a deer. While he was hunting. Yes, obviously. But he did it in were. the five minutes that I'd, not like later in the day, but right then. And that continued throughout the escalation of the organizations and everything else we were trying to put together in November. So I had literally a buzz in my heart and I would feel like I was downloading information and I start to get like crazy ideas. Like I grew up Christian and I'm a writer and my name, in fact, also means writer. So I'm like, what significance does that have spiritually? Because also everyone around me is suddenly talking about spirituality in a way that I'm not used to people around me talking about spirituality. And I'm like, oh yeah, dude, who is God's writer? God's writer is Metatron, who was supposedly the prophet Enoch, gets taken up to heaven, turned into Metatron, 
And he's the dude who keeps the secrets of the universe. And is this something you researched or you well, knew here's about the thing. this? And did I, didn't, I didn't really know about it or think about it. It's just something that I felt came to me. But also when I looked back on it, it's also the kind of stuff that Nora and James and other people were talking about around me and with me. Stuff you blow off as just shooting the shit mumbo jumbo to realizing you're internalizing things that are said to you. What did you think when you found out the story in your head of Metatron wasn't a big part of the Jewish or Christian traditions, but was a major part of the I Am cult? I didn't learn that till recently, like really recently. This is a clip from the Gaia-produced show titled Ascension Keepers. Others trace the Essenes' origins to Enoch, the incredible pre-flood sage, the first human translated to heaven. During his ascension, the Archangel Michael anointed Enoch's body with an oil that dissolved his body into rainbow-colored light. So around that time, I've become obsessed with the number 27. I don't know why I did. It's, I think Michael's wife, the one in Santa Barbara, had put me in touch with some Kabbalist guy in Los Angeles that I had breakfast with around that time. And I was just thinking about numbers. You know, growing up, you wrote your birthday as six digits. And my six digits added up to 27. And then I suddenly saw 27 everywhere. Credit card, federal ID numbers, addresses, driver's license, every single account I had had a 27. My wife's birthday was the 27th. I'd lived at several addresses that were 27. My parents' zip code was 72227. <laughs> I was going up to Standing Rock on a Lakota reservation but when I've been in the army, I've been in 2-7 cavalry, which was Custer's old unit that got wiped out by the Lakota up there. So I was obsessed with it. And so you also, didn't know what it, the number meant. It, well, here's the thing. Important. Metatron held like, you know, some cube. Like Metatron was like Metatron's cube, some big, important, prophetical thing. And 27's a cube of three. So I was like, that's it. That must make sense because once you're triggered into thinking numbers have meaning, you're automatically going to connect the meaning to everything. Sure. So I'm like, that's it. I'm here. I'm going to be one of the last two witnesses before Christ comes. Like, I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do to avoid it. And Standing Rock is going to be this. And Standing Rock is going to be the start of this thing. But it may be the end of it for me. That feeling where I thought I was Enoch. It was the greatest feeling in the world. It was like being the person you always thought you could possibly be. Is there anything comparable? Uh, like Nothing. No drug. No nothing. Nothing. And it was that feeling of effortlessly being on, being awake, being able to answer every question put forward to you and talk to every person you had to talk to in a way that I never could have done before. And when I look back on it now, I'm like, yeah, it was crazy. But at the same time, at that moment, I didn't feel crazy. I felt like I was actually finally doing something worthwhile in life. Was it after you told people that you believe you're a Metatron that they were like, oh, you should talk to this guru? No, actually before that. So it could be one of those things where you think you came up with it on your own, but you didn't. In this clip... Nora Maccabee shows paintings she made to her friend and patron, Robert David Steele, a former CIA officer who was an early pusher of QAnon content. Steele died of COVID in 2021 after claiming he had been the first person to ever call COVID a hoax. 
This so is tell um, me about this one. This okay. is really something. This is called Metatron's Cube. Now this is wait. It's called what? Metatron's Cube. Metatron's Cube. Wow. So I call it Metatron's Cube because Metatron it was originally Enoch, a man who became an angel. This all happens in like two weeks. I go from like semi-normal to I am like Enoch, you know, Metatron, messenger of God, all within like two weeks, mainly through lack of sleep and constant gurus coming around me. Now, during this time, I'm also speaking with Nora every day, James Martinez every day, and Sadef is usually over at the house. And then a week before Standing Rock, I got a call from Seven, who I'd met through Nora, that Nora's husband had submitted a report on me to the FBI and the CIA saying I was a dangerous religious extremist. And I was like, what? And what month was this? This was all November 2016. What does Nora's husband do? So Nora's husband, apparently he was a major in the army before he got out. And he had something to do with nuclear weapons, transporting them, guarding them, something like that. But he talked a lot about aliens all the time. So I didn't really care what her husband wrote about me. So I called Nora and she goes, we're going to get him to retract the report. And then Seven's like, he, he got the report retracted. And so it's these things that I look back on and I'm like, that's somebody running an op just to totally confuse me and make me paranoid. But at the time I was like, this is actually happening. I don't know if it's planned between a group of people who all play telephone with you to confuse you. You would constantly get these kind of messages. And Nora said, my friends in the intelligence world think you're being targeted with an infrasonic weapon. And I'm like, what? And she says, the Russians and the Americans both have like infrasonic weapons. Which and, are? Which are, you, you use electromagnetic waves to target people. So that, like, when I think of my symptom of my heart vibrating, she's like, they could do that. That could be caused by it. It could make you feel euphoric. It could make you feel terrified. James Martinez was also like, they do have those weapons. Like, you could be a target of that. So I took all that with a grain of salt. When our producer reached out to Nora and James Martinez for comment, both claimed that they played no part in any operations against Wes, though both claimed they believed that during this time an operation was being run against him. Both also say that they believed he was targeted by a non-lethal weapon which implanted these ideas in him, though neither offered any evidence to support this claim or even really reasons why they think it's true. Martinez denies knowing anything about Ascended Masters or I Am Spiritualism, but that would be strange because, as we've shown, he's publicly promoted those beliefs. Nora claims her spiritual outlook is simply personal beliefs and nothing more. James Martinez would talk a lot about neuro-linguistic programming, saying that was Trump's big power. I've been in the behavior modification business for a long, long, long time. I've done deprogramming for cults. I've created cults. One of them's still alive and well now. Neuro-linguistic programming is like a kind of a con man technique to set you up. And neuro-linguistic programming is preparing people for what you're going to tell them. All the stuff that is used for behavior modification, whether it's for the military, whether it's for people that are seeing Tony Robbins, he's energizing the crowd the same way somebody would be in church. You change the energetic field of the group, and then you start unconscious installation. So if I told you 
If you go against the government and your life's in real danger, a helicopter will appear over your house. Oh, I could go out and pay somebody to fly a helicopter over your house for $500 to get you to be suddenly paranoid that you've somehow crossed the line because I neuro-linguistically programmed you to expect that outcome. And a whole lot of cult stuff and things like that all work through neuro-linguistic programming. And the producers would like to note that while these techniques can be effective for cults and con men, neuro-linguistic programming as a practice is considered a pseudoscience. So you, one day you're like, I am Metatron. I am Metatron. And your wife said. My wife is like, whatever, like, I'll deal with this for now. (laughs) But I I didn't really just come out and tell her, like it was a slow kind of. Were you on any medications at all? No, none. No drugs, no. Well, I mean, smoking pot, but yeah, no, nothing else. So at the same time, another dude comes out into my life, this guy named Red Wolf Pope, who is supposedly a medicine man. And he's bringing me stuff to bring with me to Standing Rock. Stops by my house. He goes, you got to bring like this tobacco and here's your cedar that you want to, you know, put in your socks to make you, you know, magic so you can avoid getting caught by the police. And he came by the house with this guy named Colin, who was like a super hippie looking dude, beard, long hair. And I found out later Colin was in charge of internet operations at Donald Trump's 2013 Miss Universe pageant in Moscow. And Red Wolf Pope got arrested in like 2018. And it turns out he wasn't Native American. He was Chinese. Red Wolf Pope, a high profile New Mexico entrepreneur and Native American activist, has been convicted of raping a woman and recording videos of himself doing it. I know. Crazy. There's a lot to unpack right there. There's so much to unpack. I don't know what to think about that right now. Do these people come back into the story? They come back into the story. All right, I'm going to put a pin in that for now. Bookmark it. Bookmark it. Okay. So basically we try and create this organization on the fly among total strangers coordinating online. So the eight people that had signed up were before you went to New York. Mm -hmm. And then you got back from New York. And then we still only had like 12 or 13. And then we put the operations order out. And then like, A couple days later, this reporter from Task and Purpose called me about it. Task and Purpose is an online magazine aimed at veterans. So you've come back from New York. You've put out the operations order calling for veterans to come to Standing Rock to take over the front line of the protests. And now a veterans magazine called Task and Purpose is going to write an article about it? That's right. And... I did an interview with him and he posted this story and suddenly we were getting hundreds and hundreds of people coming in and tons of money and donations. And how much money did they put in? We'd raised like 1.2 or $3 million for the Standing Rock protest. Oh, like wow. In like two or three weeks. And I didn't know anything how to do any of that. So Michael Wood had set up a donation thing on my Facebook page for, we called it Veteran Stand, but it was a bank account that Mike Wood managed. And Mike Wood is the guy you met through Young Turks, who you brought into Standing Rock because he had a background in activism and you didn't. And as the numbers of people keep expanding and we're up to like two or three, four thousand and Sadef was helping keep track of all the personnel roster lists. And this is end of November. This is still in November, like past the midpoint. And she's like, don't worry, like less than half the people who sign up for any online thing ever show up. 
And Phyllis is like, doesn't matter how many people come, bring more. We'll be able to feed and house everybody. So you're in this psychotic state Mm -hmm. and money's flowing in. And none of the money could be touched till like three weeks after it had been contributed. So it's not like the money could be spent, but we wanted to get like, you know, tents, radios, cold weather stuff, stuff you need if you're out in the middle of nowhere, satellite phones and all kinds of stuff. And I remember when I first arrived in Standing Rock, this dude named Kevin found me. He goes, hey, man, I work with Elon Musk and these other people, and we're all trying to figure out how you raise so much money so fast online. For me, my crazy self at the time, I'm like, dude, we raised it because I'm on a mission from God. Why else would we have raised it? Not realizing that anybody can make contributions to things like that. For all I know, it could have been any foreign country, any organized crime group. Anyone could have been like, hey, let's get something going in North Dakota. So when you found out it had broke a million dollars. I was like, cool. We, you know, we can get, we can hire buses then to get more people out there. We can buy more tents to get more people out there. We can get more radios. We can get more things that they're going to need out there. And then I figured whatever we didn't use, you just donate straight to the tribe because the tribe's the one that's getting affected by all this. It was like simultaneously working on several different tracks in your head all at once. Despite the total lunacy and craziness, there was still this parts like, I have to make these 20 phone calls. I have to send these 15 emails. So once we get to like 1,500 people, I'm like, we need to call ourselves a regiment. So we found an inactive regiment called the 27th Colored Horse Regiment that deployed in the start of World War II in the North African campaign and never shed a drop of blood. And I was like, dude, that's like the perfect story. Yes, we're the 27th Cav. And we start having staff meetings with the kind of ad hoc leadership committee that we had to try and plan movements out there. And you realize you have no idea who anybody is that you're talking to. And you don't know what anyone's capabilities are. You don't even really know what side they're on. You just have to assume you're talking to people and you're all on the same page and we'll get out there. But also I was fully nuts by that point. And so when I talked to Mike Wood, he was like, I'll do all the press for this. You don't do any press at all. And I'm like, okay. Here's a clip from an interview with Mike Wood. This is a logistical nightmare. Nightmare. Okay. That you would not say it. How are you gaming it out if it turns ugly? There's been a, an order from the governor to disperse, right? I mean, mm-hmm. essentially. And if they choose to enforce that, uh, what is that going to look like? That's going to look like it did in the 60s. It's going to look like us sitting there peacefully, taking as much damage as we possibly can and standing in the front. By this point, I realized all of our communications were being monitored somehow. Why? Well, let me give you an example. The pipeline is like full of oil. So it's not like you can run and like, oh, let's attack the pipeline. Then you have a major oil spill. All you can do is just keep standing there. And so I said, well, let's build an ad hoc plumbing system that connects one of the camps to the river. So So if you have 3,000 people coming, you tell each one to bring three feet of pipe. You can run like over a mile of pipe, build it out with a pump to bring water into the center of the camp. And then boom, that's a human habitation. Time to file something else. The next day, the governor of North Dakota said they would arrest anybody who was selling supplies from hardware stores to protesters. 
After nearly five months of protests, officials are turning up the pressure, telling demonstrators to leave now or face the consequences. The Morton County Sheriff's Department warned protesters Tuesday that they'll start blocking supplies and people from entering the campsite. So I was like, they're definitely listening to what we have if they think they're going to prevent us from buying all these pipes to kind of come up with a shithouse lawyer solution. While we couldn't find direct supporting evidence that the governor gave this order, it was reported at the time that North Dakota Ace Hardware stopped selling certain supplies to protesters at the request of the local police. And the North Dakota government did say they would arrest individuals bringing supplies. How many people were already there at this point? We had no idea. People had been protesting there all summer, but our group of the vets weren't supposed to start rallying in there till the next weekend, December 1st. And somebody came out early that Mike Wood put me in charge with. He said, here's this guy, Travis. He's like descended from Buffalo Bill. And he feels that historical pull on it. And he's going to operate as like the XO for our group till everybody rallies in there. I'm like, okay. What's an XO? An XO is an executive officer who is the person right below the commander as an officer. And Mike Wood's not coming out early either. Because he's doing all the press. He's doing all the press. Oh, and my dad fired me. So I worked with my dad on a bunch of projects. And before I went out, he fired me. He's like, you can't go. You're not in any shape to go. They had me go get an MRI done. Is this after you told him you were Metatron? Yeah, and the MRI said, good to go. Nothing structurally wrong with you. And what about, what was your wife thinking? My wife is like, he's in a high stress situation right now. He'll he'll settle down later. But on Saturday before Standing Rock, she had a barbecue at my house. And my parents were there because they were afraid I was crazy and I had custody of the kids. So we're going to have a barbecue. Everybody's going to come over at two. At about 1230, I'm like, where are the kids? They got to take a shower. They got to clean up. My boys at this point are 11 and 13. And the older son came back and I'm like, where's your brother? She goes, oh, you know, and they play in this field out near the house. And I've never seen where they actually played. I know they played in this area we called the bluffs, but I didn't know what part of the bluffs. And I said, where? And as soon as I said where, I had that weird heart vibration. And he described exactly where they were playing and that they had to climb a fence to get back into the neighborhood. And as I got that vibration, the thought came into my head that Dashiell's life was in danger. I mean, I mean, it was a super specific feeling like he is in danger right now, this very second at that location. And I got in the shower. And then you got in the shower? Not like straight out looking. No, because because I told myself. Okay, this is like these feelings I keep having and it's start my wife is starting to get upset with it and if I run out there because I'm like I had this weird psychic vibe that my son's life is in danger, she's going to be like this is like uh, you know one straw too many. So I'm like I'm not going to keep listening to this like getting myself worked up over this psychic thing. And then I got out of the shower and boom the phone rang and it was the fire department and they had my son Dashel who just broken his arm trying to climb that very fence that I'd heard the existence of for the first time. So my brain said, this is the second time I've had an experience like that this month. I need to listen to that feeling when I get it and stop questioning everything. I mean, that was kind of where I went from, I've got these crazy ideas to this is reality, God's in charge, and I'm just along for the ride. And then that was like, all right, that's it. Period, you're psychic, accept it. Get on with 
whatever you need to do. Did you share that with your wife? I did. And what did she say? She just thought it was weird. That was it. Not like, not a sign, not anything, just weird, coincidental, whatever. That parent instinct. Parent instinct. The next night I had to go up to Santa Barbara for this event that we put together for all these family offices for like 48 hours. And this is for the event you set up with Michael from Santa Barbara, who's a guy you met through your first venture into activism, not to be confused with Michael Wood, your partner in Veterans Stand. Right after the election, you and Michael try to get people together to fund climate change projects. Absolutely. It's like a two-day conference right before Standing Rock. Everybody said I had to meet Ryan White Wolf, supposedly this indigenous guy who walked all around the world in bare feet on like 600 reservations or something like that. And I was supposed to meet him up in Santa Barbara when I went up there on Monday for the start of this conference. And he's been sold to me by Paolo and a couple other people is this guy is like, could be the next Christ. I'm like, well, I definitely want to meet that guy then. So he's in bare feet. You know, he's got long hair. He's got an Australian accent. He says he's half indigenous Australian. Who knows? I mean, he had feet like a hobbit. Wait, so I'm picturing this like bougie event in Santa Barbara. Yeah, but I meet the guy out on the street. Oh, I thought it was at. No, the event was super like, oh, look at how sophisticated I am. But this was literally on the street with a guy who had no shoes. In Santa Barbara? In Santa Barbara. And his girlfriend, who he said was like a Colombian witch, but she had what to me sounded like a Russian accent. So they're like homeless, essentially. And I'm like, well, you can just stay in my hotel room. So I had a cot wheeled in that I could sleep on. I gave him the bed and he was very much into the whole St. Germain, I am cult type of mysticism. So they're crashed out. I'm in a little cot and, you know, we have the event. And James Martinez, the guy that brought me to Standing Rock, walks up to the brother of Eric Schmidt, founder of Google. And I'm like, holy shit, they know each other. And I guess their brother was involved in something with low energy nuclear reactions, which for James was like the future of energy. But for me, I thought of it like, you know, kind of woo type things that never actually turn out to be working. Did you know the Lakota tribe had embraced the cold fusion project James Martinez was pushing? I learned about that recently, Mm. uh, but at the time I didn't know that. I mean, he was like, yeah, man, they're going to build cold fusion out here. I'm like, you'd be a lot better off building wind turbines. Producers would also like to note that while it's debatable as to whether or not cold fusion as a science could be hypothetically possible at some point in the future, we would recommend taking any claim by anyone who's saying it's been figured out or they are even close to figuring it out with extreme skepticism. And I left that, drove back to LA. That was a Wednesday night. Red Wolf, a Chinese guy pretending to be a Native American medicine man, shows up again with the dude who ran internet operations for the 2013 Miss Universe pageant in Moscow, also telling me I've got a role to play in all these different prophecies. And they've got 250 Israeli gas masks for us to bring out to Standing Rock. Is that something that was on your operation? Not really. I told people, bring a mask if you got one, because we'll probably get gassed. We got the, the gas masks. I said goodbye to my wife. The next morning, Paolo came by. When he came over that morning, he we shot a last will and testament because I wanted to make sure my wife could, you know, 
stay in the house and that my parents would hopefully get some custody of my kids. Paulo uh, helped you film this? Yeah. Because in my head, I'm thinking, I'm probably going to die. Like, I'm involved in this crazy ass thing with oil companies that I've essentially declared war on, and I'm going to wind up dying. What we thought was that neo Nazis were going to infiltrate us and mercenaries were going to infiltrate us in order to instigate violence. And then that violence that was instigated could then be responded with even harsher measures by the mercenary companies and the sheriff's department. So Sullivan, who's one of the guys I met online in early November, Sully was one of the first guys to sign up and he said he wanted to handle staff duties for what we were putting together. You know, he got in touch with me probably 48 hours before I left and said, hey, I can give you a ride out to Standing Rock. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you're going there as a messenger of God. As a messenger of God to do whatever he wants me to do, which I don't know there. When I go there, I think maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get to meet Jesus, who I assume is a native woman. Why? Why would he come back as what everybody expects? <laughs> and um, Sully had this SUV and I piled in there with Trek. I guess that was first thing Wednesday or Thursday morning, the 29th of November. And we started driving and we didn't stop till we got to the reservation. So going into Standing Rock, you were worried about infiltration into your organization. But would it be fair to say, looking back on it, that you unknowingly were part of the infiltration itself? Quite likely. So as we went into this thing, we thought with the operations order and bringing all these vets in that we were setting up for the national press, you want to see a battle? Do you want to see people get hurt? Send the press. And they all showed up. They were expecting it to be an all-out brawl. So next week, we'll start with you arriving at Standing Rock. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more American PSYOP. American PSYOP is a Bunker Crew media production in collaboration with Midas Touch. It was edited and directed by Jack Bryan, our producers are Stacy Scher, Marley Clements, and Jack Bryan. Executive producers are Ben Mysalis and Grant D. Simone. Sound design by Joy Ellett. I'm your co-host, Emily Bix. Please join us again next time.